0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Wow, look at those, Liz. $1,300 boots for $170. Yikes. Are those your style? If
2: only I could walk in those, I would be (laughs) tempted.
1: Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles, and with me is my high school friend and writing
2: partner of 17 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft, also a TV writer and producer living in Los Angeles. On this podcast, we talk about how to be happier in Hollywood, but it's really all about surviving and thriving no matter where
1: you are or what you In this episode, we're going to check in with our producer, Jennifer Lai, who's been reading all of your emails about drinking more water. We're also going to talk about self-criticism. As writers, we have to be critical of our own work. But self-criticism can also be
2: paralyzing. Mm -hmm. How do you tread that fine line? And we're going to call our agent, Matt Solo of WME, to find out how to grow a career from the mailroom up. And, of course, we'll share our latest Hollywood hack. Yes, so let's dive right in.
1: So in Episode 8, our producer Jennifer revealed that her number one resolution for 2017 is drinking more water. And lots of listeners emailed to help her. Yes, they did. Now, Jennifer is not in Hollywood. She's in New York. But through the wonders of technology, it's like she's here with us. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, guys. (laughs) How goes the quest to drink more water?
0: Uh, you know, it's always a quest. It's always a struggle <laughs> as someone who doesn't naturally gravitate towards, you know, just like always having a full water bottle. It's It's been a challenge, guys. It's been a really big challenge for me.
2: <laughs> now, have you been reading all of the emails from our listeners with different suggestions and tips?
0: Right. So I haven't actually tried that many of them yet. I have tried one, though, which is the easiest one that I can actually manage myself to do. Um Which is this water fountain trick. Have you guys Uh. ever heard of this water fountain trick? So the whole thing is that every single time you pass by a water fountain, you have to have a sip, mm. which is just like so easy. You just right. go, take a sip, take a few sips, and keep going. And it just reminds you, yeah, there's water. You should definitely be drinking it. Um, and Kim actually recommended that to
2: us. Okay, well, that's a good one. What one that I thought was really great because I'm a, I have a Brita at home, so uh-huh. maybe this one spoke to me. Was from Jane who said that you should fill up your Brita with ice. And water in the morning and then keep it on your desk and then you'll have cold water all day.
0: Yes, I do think this makes a huge difference.
2: Yeah, much more appealing than lukewarm, tepid water. Oh, and then there's Amber in Utah.
1: She said that every time a mug, cup, straw hits her lips, she takes 10 gulps. That's That's a really good idea. That's a lot. That's a lot of water. water. Yeah.
0: I mean, that means you definitely have to have a giant swell water bottle or something like that.
2: Yes. Because 10 gulps. I mean, a gulp is, you know, that could be a good a eight sip. ounces of water. Yeah. Um, so that's a good. You should try that one, Jennifer.
0: I know I should. I actually do have a swell water bottle.
2: Excellent.
0: I have one. It's not the big one. It's kind of like a smaller one because I'm in New York and I'm just walking around and yeah, it's too heavy. It's like get heavy. I do have one. I think my next step is to get multiple water bottles because mm. I have it and I kind of meant to bring it to the office today and totally forgot and didn't even do it. So I think I need one for the office, mm. maybe one for my boyfriend's place, and then one at
2: home. Yeah, that's a great solution. That makes yeah. sense. Now, the most kind of wacky suggestion we got was from another Sarah Who suggested an app called Plant Nanny, and I think it's sort of an app that helps you realize you need to water yourself, like your plant doesn't grow unless you're watering yourself or something like that. It says, as you grow more and more plants, you can harvest seeds so that you can grow
1: even prettier plants. It turns drinking water into a little game and makes you feel bad for killing your
2: pretend plant. Yeah. (laughs) So... Maybe this could be a nice little game for you to play, Jennifer. I don't
0: know. Maybe I should give it a shot.
2: Okay. Now, I have to say, who's going to say the the greatest trick in this whole thing about the denture cleaner?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because that is the ultimate problem a lot of people have with water bottles. Someone has a great
2: solution. Yeah. Glenda wrote in to say that how you should clean your water bottle is with denture cleaner. Who would have thought? (laughs) Who would have known?
0: I feel like this is like one of the greatest hacks of all time because she mentioned, she's like, you know, it's pretty cheap and it's easy to find in any drugstore. So I could just walk by a Walgreens, pick it up. She said that you just fill it with warm water from your faucet, drop in a few tablets and just let it sit overnight. And then the next day it's clean.
2: I'm going to try that. I'm going to definitely do that hack because I also suffer from the problem of hating to clean water bottles.
1: Yeah. And if you have water bottles in multiple places, you can just keep some denture cleaner in your bag. <laughs>
2: yes. And just
1: use it at the yeah, office, use it at, use it at your boyfriend's, use it at home. Yeah, wherever. Yeah. And in the meantime, just out of curiosity, because the, the little MoMA things are really fun. Um, when's your birthday? Oh
0: gosh. <laughs> <laughs>
1: there may be some heading your way.
0: Mm. <laughs> mm. Well, it, well, it actually just
2: passed. Oh, but, okay. Um, Look in the mail. But I, I will be in the lookout. Okay, a late birthday present for Jennifer. <laughs> Jennifer, thank you for joining us, and big thanks to our listeners for coming through. We will have the best hydrated producer in all of podcasting.
0: Thank you so much for sending all of the emails. I don't even know if there are any voicemails. I'm sure there are that have come our way, and I will be on my quest. I'm going to continue on my quest, and I will let you guys know how it goes.
2: Next up, we're going to talk about why self-criticism is a good thing and why it's not, after a word from our sponsor. Okay, Sarah, let's move on to a segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's going on in our work psyches this week. And this week, our work psyches are consumed with the idea of self-criticism. When is it helpful and when is it toxic? Yes. Now, this came up
1: because we were talking to a writer recently, someone who's just starting out, who mentioned that they just kind of like whipped (laughs) out a script in a week. And this is something we hear Fairly often, yes. Uh, people who are just starting out and um, write things, just you know, just yes, out it comes. And so I remember one time, uh, someone we worked with said that they'd, and this I think she was an assistant at the time, said she'd written a short story over the weekend and then sent it to an agent who she wanted to represent her. And I just thought like, oh my God, this is going to go horribly.
2: Yes. We just know that if you just dash something off, it's probably not ready to go to an agent or anyone who could have significant impact on your career. That's something you want to really be self-critical of, which is how we were talking about self-criticism.
1: Right. It's like you need to have a level of self-criticism because it's hard. You also have to like not be so self-critical that you're paralyzed. So that's kind of what we've been talking about.
2: Yeah. So writing is something, for instance, where you really need to go over it and over it and over it and assume it sucks the first few times because writing is rewriting. Uh, But this applies to anything you're doing. I mean, if you're trying to rise in a career, you want to make sure you're really putting your best foot forward. You don't want to just present your first idea. If you're designing a dress, if you're a fashion designer, I'm sure you don't just sketch a dress and then send it off to FIT. You, (laughs) you know, you revise, you refine, you do that. At the same time, and I've experienced this, if you're too self-critical and you think everything you do is shit. Right. then you can be frozen. You can become paralyzed. Yeah, And this happens both on the page
1: and specifically to writers in the room. Like you can get so, and this would happen to me on the shield. Like that was a very intimidating room. And I would just sit there thinking like, if I open my mouth, what I say has to be absolutely perfect and fully thought out. And by the time I had that, fully thought out perfect thought. Someone else had said it. Right. You know, it just like or the
2: conversation had moved on to a different topic. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, I for sure experienced that as you will remember on Angel. I may have even mentioned it on this podcast. I was so intimidated by Joss Whedon, who is brilliant, that I could not speak. I mean, my voice would be like, e ee, <laughs> um, and I because I was so self critical about anything that might come out of my mouth, so we tell younger writers because sometimes when I say younger i don't necessarily mean they don't have to be twenty two it's just less experienced writers to just go for it because in our environment, and I think this is true in a lot of creative jobs like advertising it's probably true mm. and others that nine times out of 10, or really more like 99 times out of 100, what you say is going to be rejected. So you have to get used to just putting stuff out there and accepting that it's probably going to be rejected, criticized, spat upon, um, and not make too much of it. Right. There are certain things
1: that you really need to focus on and refine and hone. Like if you're obviously writing a script, you want to be looking at All of the, you know, the big picture things as the structure working down to the tiny things like should the comma be here or not? Like that's a huge thing where you have to be really focused on detail.
2: And like if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation at a conference, you want to make sure your slides are (laughs) on point. Yeah. Whereas like if you're just in a room, if you're in a conversation, things don't have to be so perfect. Of course, Sarah. I mean, self-criticism doesn't just apply to work stuff. It applies across the board in life. And I think it's in those other across-the-board areas where we really get into the toxic self-criticism. Right. I mean, I have to tell you, when I was 25, I thought I was like a horrible beast And yet I look back at pictures of myself and I'm like, why was I so self-critical? I look great. And so now I think, I don't want anyone taking a picture of me. I look so horrendous. And I bet like when I'm, 80? Am I going to look back and go, oh, my God, I look so great in my 40s. Why did I not want to have pictures of myself?
1: You are. That's exactly what you're going to say. So that, you know, there was that whole thing about the mom stays in the picture a couple years ago about how moms are always taking themselves out of photographs of their families because they feel like they weigh too much or their hair's not perfect or whatever. And it's like, I am my best me right now. Right. <laughs> so I'm not going to be a better me in this moment. So like, Take pictures. Get in that picture. Be part of your family. Embrace, you know, where you are. Yes, that's a really good point. For me, I criticize myself much less now, but I have in the past criticized myself a lot for the way that I eat. Mm -hmm. Um, And being much kinder to myself actually allows me to eat better.
2: Yes, you did the classic... I feel bad that I ate french fries, so I'm going to have a chocolate shake. Right, exactly. Instead of saying, I feel maybe I shouldn't have eaten those fries. I'll do better tomorrow.
1: Right. Eating something that's not perfect, like now my absolute nemesis is pirate's booty. If I have some pirate's booty, it's like, okay, that happened. You know, moving on, my next thing will be a salad. So I don't go overboard in being self-critical, but I make a much bigger effort to be aware of the good choices I'm making the vast majority of the time.
2: And that's where my focus really is. Ask friends, ask people, if you're not sure if you're being too self-critical or not self-critical enough, you can sort of ask people's opinion. A lot of times people don't want to offer opinions because it can be not well received. But if you (laughs) ask them, like, for instance, if that assistant had said to me, Liz, do you think I should send the short story in to my agent? I would have said without having read it. No, you should not. Yes. You absolutely not. Work on it. Um, so it's like, you know, ask people. And at the same time, I wish I, when I was 25, asked someone like, do you think I look okay? <laughs> and I could have been like, you look fine. <sighs>
1: And we've talked about this before. You know, there was a, a writer in a room that we worked in who, like you on Angel, just couldn't speak. And that person went to therapy, which was a brilliant thing to do. She's doing incredibly well now. Yes. Like she just needed to sort of talk through what her fears were and learn to be less hard on herself.
2: Yeah, I think therapy can be obviously... We're in L.A. We're big believers in therapy. This is an area where it can be super helpful and not something you have to engage in for the next 15 years of your life. I think a few months can be very effective. So
1: maybe the key is about making the criticism about the work, not about you personally. Mm. And like knowing the difference between something that needs critical thought and like when you're just beating yourself up.
2: Yeah. Ask yourself, is being critical of myself in this moment good for me or bad for me? If it's bad for you, then be kind to yourself. If it's good for you, like maybe you should work a little more on your script or your short story. Dig in. Make it better. Yeah. Where do you stand on this debate? Do you find
1: self-criticism to be helpful or harmful? Send us an email to happierinhollywood at gmail.com.
3: Get James Cameron on the phone, get Dana Gordon on the phone, tell her assistant, if she does not call me back, I will fuck her worse than I did in Cabo in 92. Do you really want me to say that? Improvise, Lloyd.
2: Okay, what you just heard was a clip from Entourage, which starred Jeremy Piven as super agent Ari Gold.
1: Yes, because it's time for a segment we call call your agent. In our very first episode, we talked to our agent, Matt Solo, who's a partner at WME, one of the top agencies here in L.A., about the best and worst calls he's ever had to make to us.
2: Yes. And today we want to talk to him about how people just starting out in Hollywood can distinguish themselves from the pack. Because often starting your career in Hollywood means working in an agency mailroom. These mailrooms are very fabled places. Yes, they are. (laughs) All right. So, uh, Boafua, can you get Matt on the phone? Will do. Matt
0: Solo's
3: office.
2: I have Liz and Sarah for Matt.
3: One moment. Let me see if I have them.
2: Hello. Hey, Matt.
3: Hi, Liz. How are you?
2: Good. Got Sarah here, too. Hi, there. Hi, Sarah. Hi. Thank you for taking our call once again.
3: Well, you know, I've been happier for the last four or five weeks thanks to the podcast.
2: Okay, good. (laughs) We're glad to hear that. (laughs) Now, we called you today to talk about sort of starting out in the business because a lot of people, when they start out in Hollywood, they start working at an agency no matter what their ultimate goal is. Do you agree with that?
3: Yeah, for sure.
2: And a lot of times it's in the mailroom, which I think is something that people all over the country have heard about these agency mailrooms. Like, what is starting in the mailroom?
3: Well, you know, you can't just walk into an agency and start working as an agent. Right. (laughs) And also, when you have an assistant, the job that you would love to start at is an assistant to an agent. but. One, you don't know exactly when an assistance agent job is going to open up. Right. The, the company doesn't know that either. So they have a pool of people on hand that are sort of in reserve, let's say the people in the mailroom, who don't have a desk, who are sort of waiting in reserve for these desks to open because those people are either getting promoted or moving out. Typically they'll express an interest in some area that they're interested in, whether it's now, I mean, in the old days there weren't that many choices, but let's just say whether it's television or film or literary or acting or music, Music or, you know, reality or digital. There's so many different fields now. And if they know what they want, they can sort of express that and get to know some of the assistants and some of the agents in that area as they're in the mailroom so that it, they're a little bit primed for getting that assistant job when it opens up. So it's sort of a – it's like a holding pen.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, my question, Matt, is for people like all over the country, even if they're not actually starting in an agency, they're starting in a, you know, entry level position where there might be a lot of other people at that same level. In your experience, how can someone in these entry level positions really stand out? How do they make you go, oh, that person has a future. They're going to have a great career.
3: You know, it's funny, I always say it's not that hard to stand out because most people don't. Uh-huh. <laughs> not because they're doing anything wrong, by the way. It's just that it's this. If no one can complain, if when you start in an entry-level job, and this is true to any job in the world, but let's use the agency assistant or the mailroom job, if all you do is your job, no one can complain, right? You get to work on time, you answer the phone. If you're an assistant, you make sure that your boss knows where they have to go, meetings, et cetera, read what they need to read. If you do that and then you go home, no one can complain, right? You did your job, and, if you, do, and you can do it really well, and people will notice if you do it really well. But what I like to say for anybody in any job is if all you do is the job, if all you do is sort of meet the requirements from 9 o'clock in the morning till 6 at night, no one's going to fire you for that, but you're also not going to stand out uh, because the job is what you do from nine to six. It's what you do from seven to midnight that's the career.
2: Oh, wow.
3: Right? So it's like, are you in, in my business? Are you reading? Are you you know watching films and television and identifying writers and directors? Are you out there socializing with assistants at other companies? To find because you find everybody in Hollywood, anyway, it's sort of like an incoming class every year. It's the class of 20, let's say this year's the class of 2017. So everybody who showed up everywhere, whether they're working at a studio, an agency, a television company, for a producer, an actor, they're coming in, in 2017. And all over town, there are people in this incoming class. You should get to know who they are. You know, little by little. Like, you know, who if you ever hear that there's someone working at another agency or somebody working somewhere else, Go grab a coffee with them because they're going to be running a studio someday.
2: Right. And it's like these assistants someday will be the people running the studios and their friends will be the assistants. And they will be writers
3: and they will be directors and they will be all these kinds of things. So you should know, like, have an idea who your incoming class is. So, you know, what I like to say when you're in those jobs is people may not recognize that you're going to be an agent or an executive. You kind of have to make yourself one. Mm-hmm. And then if you hope. You know, if they don't recognize it, you still did it. You still have that knowledge base. You still have that drive. And you hope that the company you're working for recognizes it. And typically they do. And when you say, how do you stand out? I mean, I can tell you that if, my, you know, if somebody in the mailroom comes to me and says, I really like the area of work you're in, what can I do? Can I read? Can I watch something? Can I, do you need help with anything? Most people don't do that. If they did it, you would be noticed, Right. On the one hand, you have to avoid being irritating.
1: Right. That's the trick.
3: Which is a fine line to walk. But, you know, people everywhere appreciate inspiration and drive. And so you can show that even if you're in the mailroom, even if you're an assistant. You know, you think of something that could be done, needs to be done, or even just walk in and say, I saw an incredible film, whatever, a a Turkish film, and this filmmaker was great. Are you aware of them? A film agent's going to, they may not pay a lot of attention to that person, but they're going to notice that that person did that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, that's what I mean to say. It's not hard to stick out. It's just that most people don't because they come and they, quote, do the job.
1: Right. Matt, I'm curious what some of your past assistants have gone on to do. I assume they haven't all sort of taken the agent track.
3: I have former assistants who are partners at other agencies that I promoted off my desk, you know, in, earlier in their careers. I have assistants who are vice presidents of different production companies and studios. I have a lot of assistants who are, you know, middle-level management at studios and networks and a number of assistants who are, you know, working on as writers. Well, and if
1: they work for a lit agent, an agent who represents writers... Often when writers are looking for an assistant, we call our agents and say... That's right, because
3: this was not always true, but I would say in the last five to ten years, working for other writers, in television anyway, has become a track for getting started as a writer in the television business. It used to be that you'd just be a writer and then somebody would hire you to write. But now there are these jobs, as you guys are aware of, where people become the assistants to agents. And the people who want to be writers, and the writers want to hire people who want to be writers, but they also want to hire people that have agency experience. Yes. (laughs) So, So that's why a whole bunch of people who want to be writers will come to agencies, even though they really shouldn't be there, to work for an agent, which they really don't need to do. But agents are connected to every other job out there.
2: Well, neither Sarah nor I worked at an agency, and I have to say, I think I'd have been terrified to work at an agency. So I'm glad that I escaped that. Why do that to yourself? (laughs) Um, But Matt, thank you so much. I think your advice about you know how to stand out is just awesome advice, Um, as always. You have these pearls of wisdom. So thank you for talking to us today.
3: All right. I wish all your listeners great success, but I have no contacts. I know nobody, so don't call me.
2: Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. We'll talk to you soon.
3: All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. (laughs)
2: Bye. All right, Sarah, now it's time to get real. It's
1: time to get real real because today's Hollywood hack is a website called The Real
2: Real. Okay. So The Real Real is a website. It's a luxury consignment website. So we should explain to everyone what that
1: means. It's basically if you happen to have a $100,000 Birkin bag, you, <laughs> you that can you no longer want. Right. <laughs> you can give it to the people who run the real real and they will post it and you can sell your $100,000 Birkin bag. Now, it's not only Discounted. those incredibly. Yes, it's not only those incredibly expensive things. Um in fact, we found out about it because we were admiring a friend's new bag, just a regular nice purse. Yes. Um and she said she got it on the real real. So, of course, I went to it. Immediately, I'd never heard of it and checked it out and I ended up getting this beautiful Stella McCartney tote bag. And then I also got a purse because it's a little bit dangerous, this website.
2: That is the thing. I mean, you can really get lost on there and go, oh, well, hey, it is $500 cheaper than it would be if I bought it new, you know, but it's still a couple hundred dollars. So, you know, you've got to be careful. You shouldn't do this when you're really tired or when you've been drinking. (laughs) or exactly. when you're in a bad mood right there should be a warning sign <laughs> yes, on this website yes. for sure um but anyway so the, it's everything it's got clothes it's got jewelry i mean one thing that's fun to do is to like look at the diamonds not yes. that i would ever buy any diamonds from this website or I really never buy diamonds at all. Um, but it is fun to go, oh, hey, look at this beautiful $40,000 Cartier bracelet. It's only 20000 Right.
1: Now, we always talk about wish fulfillment in television, and this website is like the ultimate wish fulfillment. Yes. You can go there and just see, like, the most fabulous, wonderful things and have this sense of, like, but... It's not as expensive as it would be, you
2: know. Yes, but it does let you buy something nicer than you could buy if you're buying it new in a store. True. Because it is discounted. So it it really is a useful um way to kind of upgrade your wardrobe without spending more. Well, and it made me think of, you know, we talked about Thelma, the year of Thelma.
1: If you have a landmark birthday, Mm. a milestone birthday, maybe you want to get like a new pair of diamond studs or Mm -hmm. a new pair of, you know, or a fancy bag. It's a great way to do that without completely, you know, spending
2: your entire mortgage. Yes, exactly. So it's called The Real Real, and we suggest that you check it out, but do so with caution because you don't want to spend all of your money.
1: Exactly. All right. So that is today's Hollywood hack. And if you're feeling self-critical for overspending, go to The Real Real. You can feel good
2: about getting a good deal. And this is not an advertisement for The Real Real. We just happen to like it. And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Thanks for listening, and please subscribe if you have not already. And if you like the podcast, give us a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps listeners find us. Are you too hard on yourself, or could you stand to be even more self-critical? Shoot us
1: an email at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Or if you have any pressing questions about life in Hollywood, leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21. An upcoming episode, episode 15, is going to be all listener questions. So now is
2: the time to ask us what you want to know. Many thanks to Matt Solo for coming on this episode. We always appreciate his wisdom. Yes. And thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lye, who promises she's going to drink more water. Also thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. And thanks to my sister, Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at
1: Sarah M. Fain, and Liz is at Elizabeth Kraft. Until next week, I'm Sarah
2: Fain, and I'm Liz Kraft. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job, and we enjoy it.
1: Like, you don't know
3: what pirate's booty is? What is happening here? She doesn't have
2: children, that's
3: why.